0: Hi everyone, it's Anthony. Thanks for tuning in. This uh, special clip is from a conversation that we had in our February Check Thrust session with our members. Uh, And it brings together a conversation with Nicholas Robinson. He's the Director General of Transport Canada. And he took some time to provide an update to our members, took some Q&A from the members, and left us with some interesting insight as we all navigate our way through and around this COVID-19 pandemic. Hope you enjoy the content. Stay tuned. We're bringing more with, uh, with additional guests as we plan our way forward through 2021. Thanks again for taking the time. Stay well.
1: Thanks for having me for, for the uh, next little while to, um, to go over some of the questions or, or concerns that you guys have uh, right now. Um, try and uh, shed light on, on some of the initiatives that we're doing uh, within the government of Canada. Uh, a bit disappointed. I think the last time I, sp- I was able to speak to uh, all of the uh, the CBAA group, we were in Calgary um, at at the conference uh, over a year and a half ago. Um, so still getting used to this uh, this virtual uh, forum, uh, and hope that uh, that I'm able to uh, to join you uh, in person uh, at another meeting uh, in the near future. But but for now. I really do. I do have to extend my thanks uh, to Anthony and, and Merlin and, and all of you uh, for the work that you've you've done with regards to uh, addressing uh, the the risks as well as the perceived uh, concerns uh, that pandemic uh, that the pandemic has presented, uh, particularly in the aviation sector. Um, you know, uh, Anthony just mentioned, uh, but it's no surprise. Uh, the amount of folks that put up their hand uh, when the government has come uh, to call on on vaccine distribution and, and how the aviation system can help. Um, it's been the same case in the, uh, the distribution and the maintenance of, of vital supply chains, the, the same instance in, uh, in repatriating Canadians, uh, in medevac Canadians' home in unusual circumstances. In in stepping forward and and instead of and um, in working with the government and uh, all all different uh, groups of the government uh, in the various measures that have come out, um, I, I I can't uh, fully imagine because I'm not in each of, of your operational environments, uh, but I do I, I do have concern uh, with regards to how much, uh, how much you've been asked to change, uh, to shift, um, throughout the pandemic and, and those, those yardsticks that you're trying to play between, um, are, are constantly changing. Um, I was, I was with a group, um, about a week ago, uh, and, and we were talking about, um, uh, the, the feelings we had headed, heading into the holidays, uh, um, in early part of December. We had seen the the Calgary uh, pilot testing uh, initiative come out that was helping to reduce quarantine. Toronto was was very close behind in in wanting to launch a very similar pilot to to help reduce quarantine. And and then um, our our ground uh, shifted again and there was the introduction of the UK variant. Um, and then subsequent introduction of two other variants all within a, within a matter of, of a few days, a few weeks and and those pilot testing that's really those really, really strong initiatives that was truly a, uh, an aviation industry lift um, started to, to get pushed back. Um, and and now we're here today and I, I do take some light in in provinces and territories starting to understand where they might be able to open and, and uh, again. But what we're faced with uh, in just a matter of days, uh, additional measures that are going to come into effect that are going to have a significant impact on the aviation industry by, uh, by requiring particular testing and quarantine elements. Um, so I, I have to thank you all for continuing to work with the government on that. It is important. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, I can't wait to be in person meeting with you guys uh, again uh, at another time. I also can't wait to to get on a plane and travel with my family to to a vacation. I can't wait to to get on a, a on an aircraft and travel for for a variety of different work reasons. Um, but right now I, I know I can't uh, and. Um, there's a lot of work that you guys are doing to, to help those that absolutely have to uh, continue to be able to um, while we go through the, the pandemic and hope that that in, in months uh, months from now we might see some some better progress and opening uh, of, of certain restrictions but but it is at least months away it's, it's not a matter of days it's not a matter of weeks. I think many of you know that and um, and so I think I'll leave my comments of that like that and and turn to you for questions and comments Um, and i'll I'll close with with an ask of all of you uh, or or your consideration of all of you at the end
0: thanks nick so maybe i'll start there you know you talked about um recognizing and i appreciate the the note especially for those that are on the line and those that will see this after the fact the essential element. And I, I think what's interesting, let's go back to the NOTAM, the NOTAM that directed all traffic, including business aviation, to the four majors. Um, in there was the element of special authorizations. In other words, an opportunity for those that uh, uh, are seeking that relief. Perhaps it's to go to other, other airports other than the four majors, as we know. But as we described yesterday, you know, we've been sharing with our members that we created a template, we were pursuing what we thought were the best practices to demonstrate one um, operators that were very clearly essential. we were not playing in the space of trying to get somebody home from a Caribbean destination because the media is not, not into that and that's not what we're about, we're here. We are talking about essential elements. So when we think of that special authorization, we know that there, are, and it's been described as two keys. I've used that expression where TC has a key and PHAC has a key. Can you walk us through that special authorization process? Because, you know, it's, it's timely. Last night we were, we were declined for those that we had submitted. And it's, it's, it's a challenge because these operators are putting out uh, just that essential elements. So could you talk us through a little bit about Transport Canada, PHAC, and special exemptions?
1: I like that analogy of two keys, Anthony. I, I might steal that from you for, for a couple of different uh, future discussions. Um, and, and But I'll, I'll say it's actually three, three keys, uh, so I'll throw another key into the, in the mix. Um, so the NOTAM, uh, you guys are all aware, but I just want to do a very, very quick. So we issued the NOTAM on, on a public safety rationale. Uh, it wasn't an aviation safety rationale. It wasn't an aviation security rationale. Um, when you know we, we issue no TAMs quite often, uh, aviation safety, aviation security. Um, the other, the, the third element is we can issue uh, with related, related to, uh, to public safety. Um, and, and it was based off uh, a rationale that was provided by the, the Public Health Agency of Canada. Um, and, and it went something along the lines of uh, you know, paraphrasing, is in order to better address uh, this spread of COVID-19 across the country a- as well as the variants of COVID-19, uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada and, and border, Uh, Canadian Border Services Agency have to consolidate uh, their expert resources, their ability to uh, screen and ensure the health of individuals entering Canadian borders. Um, and for that reason, there is a, uh, a public health rationale, a national public health rationale, to limit the uh, access to the four major airports for for international travel. Um, that was very similar to the, the to the public health uh, to the beginning uh, public health rationale that was provided back in in March of last year that funneled, but then made car votes made exceptions. I, I actually feel uh, personally and. And I, I was able to um, uh, in the issuance of this one, I feel that the public health rationale for this uh, NOTAM is much stronger than the one that was there prior because of the uh, it, it eliminates regional exceptions. Because regional exceptions are, are hard when, when we know that the, uh, the virus is, is, is global. Um, in that though, we recognize that there needs to be exceptions and, and, and you're aware, and, and if there's particular questions I can go into it, but there are particular specific exceptions that are written out clearly within the NOTAM and also are, are clearly articulated in the um, uh, aeronautical information circular, which I'm, I, I, ho- I hope uh, was circulated and, and, and folks are aware of uh, following the NOTAM. Those are exceptions that are set. There's also the, the final exception was, uh, you know, under, under uh, approval, an individual can continue to conduct. So if there's an exception that comes in from, uh, that has an aviation safety focus, that's specific to aviation safety, I own that key, going back to Anthony's analogy, and I will turn it. I will let my public health agency of Canada colleagues and my Canadian border services agency colleagues and my aviation security colleagues know. Uh, but if it, if it comes down to a safety issue, I will turn that key. Um, and it similarly goes, and I, I guess we'll share the same key to aviation security too. So if Wendy, uh, you, many of you know, Wendy Nixon or, or aviation security within TC, we will turn that key and, and that is within our decision making and, and, and will be our decisions solely. Because it's based off a of public safety rationale and this is why I, I started with this. If it's outside posing an aviation safety risk or if it's outside posing an aviation security risk and it goes within the other domain, that's where we will take those applications and, and you saw the, the various elements, the pieces of information we need, it's, it's in the advisory uh, Aeronautical Information Circular. We, we take those applications you received just like we did with the, the, with the, the number that we received uh, from the, CBA, the CBAA on behalf of yourselves and we will present them to the, the Public Health Agency of Canada and say, here are the applications and, and we need you to assess and take determinations. We are not in the, uh, Transport Canada is not in the business to, to make those determinations. We're not public health experts, nor do we want to mandate anywhere near public health. So uh, that, that's why we have a Public Health Agency of Canada. So they are making the, the determinations on those applications that are based on, here is what we're looking for exceptions. Here are how we're mitigating those strategies. And this is what we're doing to, to help help address and this is why we want to we want to uh, land in the airport uh, the outside of those four. We will provide advice support to the uh, public health agency in the in the realm of aviation to help them understand what's being asked. If there are points that, that need clarity, but, but the final decision outside of the aviation safety and security piece is public safety, or is public uh, public health for the for 99.9% of those with a small other and that's why I said there's a third key with a small other piece going to the CBSA because if there is an exception if public health will make an exception then CBSA needs to make sure that they are ready to receive that exception whether it be through campus or whether it be through actual people on the ground or, or whatever it, they need to just be ready so that that's the third key that just has a small piece in it But that's how we're divvying up those exemptions. A long answer, but I hope I wanted to take you through the process of that's why. Well, it's a Transport Canada instrument, the NOTAM, the exemption process, if it's outside of those two aviation realms, is truly with the decision maker of the public health agency, because that's the basis on on, uh, the rationale on why this was put in place
0: appreciate that, Nick. So maybe you know I'll, I'll take one moment to say that uh, for those, I've already got a couple questions that are coming through and I will get to those. I'll just ask one follow-up. So if you're in the audience and you'd like to chat uh, uh, or ask that question, feel free to message in the chat. It'll come directly to me and I'll facilitate the question. We've got some time with Nick. But Nick, building on that, can we talk about the OIC and the NOTAM and the differences with respect to the exemption specifically? there are cases that are called for in the OIC that exempt travellers from quarantine, things like a Canadian returning from essential medical services, perhaps conducted overseas. Is there a desire uh, or is there a future consideration to align the NOTAM, directing all traffic to the four majors, to align with the OIC that says, well, those folks are exempt from quarantine. So frankly, can we not get them closer to their point of uh, destination? Maybe it's Kelowna, Winnipeg, Halifax, et cetera? I think it goes back to the one of the key rationales uh, in the
1: NOTAM itself, and that was the resources on the ground. So while individuals coming into those big four might be exempted from, say, quarantine, they're not exempted by, from additional measures and, and checks and balances on when you arrive in. So quarantine, uh, quarantine officers still remain at the big four airports. And it and it adds that blanket of security for individuals coming in, even though they're they're transiting the airport or transiting the the FBO and and moving on into because they're not subject to quarantine. So so that is that is one of the 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 nuances that have to be considered. That while you might be exempt from a particular measure, it doesn't it doesn't negate the fact that there are no. Uh, public health or CBASa resources in particular locations that provide extra amounts of, of scrutiny or security there. However, you know, your question, Anthony, was, is there openness to consideration on, on greater alignment as we move on? Uh, I would say, absolutely. I, I think um, if there's one thing we've, or I hope, has been shown in, in, um, in the, the full- uh, duration of the pandemic is that that attempt to try and align various things uh, and various initiatives that were being undertaken, and it goes to probably a, a question I should address on how the departments are speaking back and forth to each other. But there is there is that push to try and align. But but I I, I will say um, from because we're in a public health emergency, the driver here, the the end of it, the the departmental driver person that's in the driver is the chief public health officer and and their public health expertise we will we will flag aviation safety and security risks but the real driver of a lot of these policies is is that public health and uh and safety advice that's coming to 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 specifically address the pandemic
0: okay and maybe i'll i'll segue into one of the first questions that um uh, you know the the definition of persons in the trade, the, the the essential element, and it comes up whether it's in the OIC on uh, section six. It's a common question. Maybe maybe the, uh, realizing, of course, that this is within PHAC's domain, perhaps you could provide some insight into their process for determination. It's been the the biggest sticky point of all of this. We are advocating for essential operations, and we are always running dice when we land because. Maybe CBSA says that the CEO of a of a Fortune 100 company uh, is no longer essential or not essential and therefore uh, not permitted entry. So perhaps, given that it's not within uh, TC's uh, approval domain, can you shed some insight into how PHAC is processing essential uh, personnel, a person or a class of persons, as you indicated, uh, the chief public health officer has that authority. Yeah. So I can speak
1: to it because we've worked in with them in, in making sure a recognition of essential transportation personnel, because that's our mandate, right? Um, and what we've, what we've outlined and we've worked with the Public Health Agency, we work with Public Safety Canada, the CBSA, in making sure that under, individuals understand what truly is essential and how, how the system needs these individuals to move. And, and so I'll take the transportation environment and, and crew. Um, so what makes up crew? Um, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a number of different cases where, where pilots were being told, Yep, yeah, you, can, you can keep moving through. But the AME that was on that aircraft was being stuck. They said, well, that that's not a crew. And, and so we took a long time and, and, and were able to, to help public health and public safety understand that actually AME is part of our crew and actually an absolute essential part of maintaining an aviation system, which the government of Canada is relying on. So it, it, I use that example, and, and I've used the example of, of explaining deadheading, uh, of explaining the fact that you need to, and, and we were able to get a CPHO exemption. It took a while, but it, uh, it came out in, I think it was November, but Merlin and, and Anthony will correct me uh, to, um, have a recognition that our, our crews need to go sometimes across the border for training, uh, and they need to receive training because in order to keep up our currency and to keep up our aviation system, that is actually mandatory. So we, we were able to receive a CPHO exemption for that. So I, to your question, Anthony, the biggest part is, is an education that that is undertaken and i and i'm sure it was the case for for all the other cpho exemptions and other exemptions that you see within there but i can speak to the transportation front of educating why this is essential and if if it wasn't essential and it's subject to a particular measure what would happen um and and that's what we did with with for instance the last one with currency Uh, we did a a bit of modeling actually it was kind of interesting and and showed kind of um Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple months out what may happen
0: okay perfect no i appreciate that and bill there's a i'll follow up also on this uh with respect to essential elements in the work we're undertaking with phac so perhaps let's shift to a question from dave frank uh out in bc so he's asking uh nick the recently announced funding for regional airports and carriers through the economic development agencies is appreciated but not tackling the problem so he's indicating as we've experienced across the country, 2020 losses, in this case, by just two of the regional airports exceeds the total amount allocated. Uh, So who do we need to approach to try to change this? So we're talking about, let's think both about this very, uh, very specific BC element, but think broadly of airports across the country and increasing costs as they're passing those, those fees along, which I'll talk about in Montreal, but maybe you could provide some insight into that. Um, I, I'm not going to uh, to pass the buck here at all uh, but what I am going to
1: say is I'm very grateful that I, I've been able to within civil aviation we are we are entirely solely focused on aviation safety and there's an air policy group within transport Canada uh, it's actually uh, fully removed from from civil aviation that has been advocating for the financial support of the sector um, so so we concerns when you're expressing those concerns with regards to the the regional airport uh, initiative other initiatives that are being discussed you do want to go to Transport Canada, your minister, and and I've seen uh, the the correspondence that your your association, the CBAA, has has written, the Minister of Transport, the Deputy Minister of Transport, those are two key, key components of this conversation. But it goes along with the Minister of Finance and the Deputy Minister of Finance, because as we know, they hold the purse strings for the government. And then also, uh, I would even go so far as, and, and I know it's it's been the case is of course the government is, has a prime minister and it's the prime minister and the Prime minister's office so those are your, your key uh, inner uh, group triangle of individuals that are that are considering financial support for the industry financial support for other industries and those are where you you want to direct your your attention uh, to for that
0: no I appreciate that I mean that's certainly amongst our our constituency the thing to think about is that of course while the airlines have experienced a significant decline. The risk, of course, is as we talk about these measures that uh, perhaps our Minister of Transport is considering along with the government in support of the airline industry. It's important to recognize that it's the fulsome response. I mean, we're seeing air, nav- uh, air navigation fees going up, as you know, uh, GTA, a 97% increase on aircraft under 19,000 kilograms, Montreal increasing fees. The story is the same. So that's something we're, we're eager and watching, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to look back to the questions here. AMEs involved in pre purchase inspection outside the country covered under the crew exemptions. So perhaps a, a question to you, Nick. Um, we're talking about crews, and you, you've kind of illuminated some of that, but uh, we've got crews, AMEs that are conducting these pre purchase inspections and co- coming back home. Are they exempt?
1: So um, we've got to talk about the scenario. So if you're taking an aircraft, and, and you have a crew and an ame on an aircraft and you're flying uh you're not using commercial you're flying in uh for for uh, another aircraft exemption uh you're you're examining that aircraft getting if you're taking it at the same time you're bringing those crews taking it out i would say that's all part of, of ferry flights and and you're bringing bringing in and back and, and you're flying out you're not staying in the country if it's if it's the the kind of that pre-inspection prior to purchase that you're coming in uh, and, and we've seen uh, some organizations do it, that is that is a harder one to fit within those AME crew exemptions and you're probably looking at a natural national interest exam uh, out of the uh, Global Affairs Canada. They have issued them a number of times for for the purchase of aircraft um, and you're looking at getting a national interest, uh, interest exam to come in have have a team because sometimes it's it's much broader broader than just an AME, come in inspect the aircraft uh, and then be able to to take off or do the do the reverse for outside of Canada.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, <clears throat> perhaps we've got about seven minutes, so I'm just kind of give everybody a, a pacing. I know Nick that you've got a, a hard stop. Uh, so, one question that's come up here from Dave: uh, Would you consider extending the validity period of those trained to conduct uh, PCCs for 604 to 48 months versus 24 months? Uh, at this point,
1: uh, there is we're considering many things. Uh, that's an issue that had uh, had been raised prior to the uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, and that we were aware of, and and we did take the decision that that we were not going to extend it for 48 months, um, but, uh, but the pandemic has uh, had us uh, continue to look at a variety of things, but in a temporary way. Um, we will evaluate some of the extensions that we provided uh, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, when, when we all have the, the opportunity to take a breath and, and see if there are certain exemptions that we may look to keep. Um, but at this point, that, that's that's a question that had been uh, raised uh, prior to the pandemic, and and our uh, I don't believe our response has, has shifted on that yet.
0: Okay, well then maybe I'm uh, looking at the chat. I'll, I'll I'll go to my last question as we think about the timing, <clears throat> and I guess it's perhaps it's shaped with. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the No Tam. We've talked about essential operations and business aviation. As you view this air sector, this response, you mentioned already at the beginning that we're talking about months away. Something we've advocated for is what are, what is the finish line? What, what does it look like? Like, What are the goals, the metrics, the things that need to fit in order for these things to, let's say, return to normal. Obviously something that's out of control is how we, how we view vaccines. But when you think of aviation, the regulatory framework, getting people flying, getting our operators doing what they do best, which is safe, reliable, efficient transportation. Is there something that we should be thinking about? Is there something that, as an industry, we should contemplate implementing? Perhaps it's the conversations you're having with PHAC, CBSA, et cetera. So thinking of business aviation and that, that, let's call it build back, uh, what does that recovery look like? When does that take place? What should we be looking for? So so I'll I'll refer back to uh, my impressions going into
1: the holidays over December really thinking we had turned uh, some sort of corner and we were going to start to um, see a potential um, uptick uh, of travel because of these these uh, pilot projects and, and the pilot projects that were really demonstrating uh, a strong, a strong impact, a strong positive impact. Um, and, and then the variants had shifted things. Um, it, it, We've struggled, Transport Canada has struggled uh, as well, um, on, on what is what is or what does a green light look like? Um, is, it, uh, is it the positivity rate of the population? Is it the uh, number of cases? Is it the seven-day average? Is it the RT factor? Um, you know, those are all things that need to be looked at. But then we have those curveballs that are thrown at us, we have a UK variant that is more uh, that is that is uh, more virulent than than what we were dealing with just just weeks ago, we might have another variant, we have a vaccine delay. Uh, we have a, a concern that a vaccine might not address a particular variant and does that variant then start to be uh, start to excelate, uh, escalate. Do we have a Canadian variant? Uh, knock on wood, we haven't. So we don't have people acting, but, but you saw Canada took action immediately in the UK. We issued a no tam, no flights coming from the UK as soon as that variant uh, was discovered. So the variables, I, this isn't the answer. Uh, it's not a definitive answer, but it is, it, is the, it is what's being considered on a daily basis on what is the safe start. What we do know is, is the cases are going down, our vaccination rates are going up, um, but we also have a traveling public um, and even a business traveling public that do have concerns with aviation as well. So, so this works into what I wanted to, to leave with you today and, and ask as an association is I've seen some pretty amazing proposals. Uh, from Business Aviation, uh, a, f- a few particular organizations that are uh, setting up, you know, um, in-field testing, one-hour testing, uh, getting their and, and PCR testing, not antigen. We know that uh, I'm not here to debate the antigen PCR. I, I have my own personal views on that, uh, but we know PCR is right now the the test that, uh, that uh, the government is going with right now, um, but we have one hour PCR testing, aircraft touches down, individuals don't get off an aircraft, they're tested, p- rates come back, or uh, results come back. Well, well from, a, from a public health perspective, in, in looking at what's trying to be proposed, that seems to hit almost every, everything we're looking for. Uh, it doesn't reduce quarantine rates right now, but man, does that hit a lot. So I would propose to you, the, the Business Aviation Group uh, is, you know, I'd be interested in, as you understand, because now you see a full view of what the government's trying to, to do. You have these new quarantine measures, you have these testing measures, you have our addition, uh, existing measures that were in place. What would what would the CBAA propose as a mechanism that you could say? Listen, our our members are will do. Here's our re, here's our safe restart. This is what our safe restart looks like, and this is what we are committed to do uh, in this safe restart. Because and it addresses this, this, and this. It, it's listen. I, I I'm not here to to push work on on any of you. But I will say that the, it's not something that we haven't not seen from a few others as well. Is really here's what my safe restart looks like. You've said you want all this. Here's how I can give it to you and how I can start to move forward with my business and and start to to be able to to change and not react to new measures that public health agency or, or Transport Canada or others might put in place. I'm going to I'm going to create this environment to address those sorts of measures that you're you're proposing.
0: I appreciate that. I mean, you know, we're gonna continue down that road. I mean, the templates that we provided highlighted and, and we're gonna to continue to mine this road. It's a part of a conversation you're gonna to have tomorrow with PHAC, but you know, it's alignment to provincial orders, alignment to federal orders. It's, it's awareness that, hey, the corporations, the entities, the individuals that choose to fly these aircraft often have and we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic Implemented best practices long before it's even been contemplated by government with respect to PCR testing. So it's encouraging that you're hearing the work and effort that not only we've undertaken, but that on behalf of the industry, the operators themselves that are saying, hey, we're willing to maybe it's Spartan biosciences, right? It's 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 individual labs, accreditation. I know that's a test. And that, you know, this has been the the overriding. And one thing I appreciate, and I'm going to share it again with, with, with those that are on the call, I mean, the dialogue that we've been able to have. So when you're able to share, we're able to, to speak directly, you and I, Nick, about, hey, here's what's coming. And we get the first view that it's available. And so this is allowing us through the channels that we have with our operators to kind of get ahead of things. We're trying to influence things, recognizing, of course, that COVID is a fast moving thing, but we'll absolutely take you up on that offer because we fundamentally believe that the risk tolerance, the, the, the application of risk management techniques, whether it's at our FBOs with PCR testing, uh, how, we can, how we can open things up responsibly while demonstrating that there is a piece for us to play, we're playing it, and more is here's the educational component that perhaps PIAC in particular hasn't seen yet, um, and that's maybe the resistance that they've got today, but we'll absolutely take you up on that. Uh, it- Anthony, that I just want to hit on that
1: one point around, you know, the education and awareness, because it, I will, I'll, the success story is this, you know, when, when we focused on education and awareness on what the industry can do and how it can play, it has, we've seen success. And, and I don't know how people remember, cause it seems like years ago, but you know, at the beginning of the summer, early part of the spring, even flying in the aircraft was painted as a dirty, virus-filled environment that, you know, you were bound to get COVID on. Even if the air, you know, there was a COVID-positive patient there a week ago. Oh, God, it was, it was terrible. Um, and, and we undertook, uh, from a, from, with, with industry, we undertook a, a campaign uh, in government to actually fully articulate what the actual risk is of in-flight transmission. And and by the end of, by middle middle summer, we had a provincial, a very, very prominent provincial CPHO uh, out west come out and actually say that the relative risk of in-flight transmission was low. And then a week or two following that, we had our national CPHO or chief public health officer come out and say the exact same thing. And that's what we're trying to do is to dispel some of those perceived risks and, and show that the, the relative risk is low. It's not non-existent. We're not gonna say that, but, but the relative risk is low. And, and so, so now we have to kind of look at, so what's the relative risk if we have this sort of system in place here with testing and, and, and either pre-departure and post-arrival testing, what is the relative risk of introduction of, of COVID cases into a national environment? We, now we have to work on that.
0: I appreciate that perspective. I know you've got a one minute to the hard stop, so I'm gonna take that moment to to say thanks again, Nick. You've you've illuminated the concerns that we've had, the, the challenges. You know we are we are wanting to move at the speed of business, which means we've been ready. We are advocating for these positions, and it's it is uh, as as you know, for the team leading uh, leading TC, we all are experiencing these these rapid changes with COVID, and and, and we're trying to get ahead of things. We're working super hard to to make this happen. So I appreciate the partnership that you've shown to the association, and on by extension our industry. Uh, so thanks for you uh, taking the time today uh, to address the the audience, and and uh, on behalf of the association, thanks again, Nick.